Are you ready to challenge your rhetoric? Today is Wednesday, September 28th. My name is Sherry Roberts and I'm your host on Challenging the Rhetoric. Welcome to the show. So you're probably hearing a little bit of a difference in sound and audio, hopefully, and hopefully it's good. But it leaves me here kind of naked because I am finally able to use all of the equipment that I've had for a long time and had not been able to use when I was broadcasting from the coast. The problem is, is every little move I make, you're going to hear those sounds because I am still unpacking the studio equipment wise is all set up but there's still a mountain of boxes and stuff around me. That being said, this Saturday, October 1st, marks two years that Challenging the Rhetoric has been on the air. So whether you consider it to be my show's birthday or its anniversary doesn't matter. What matters is, is that you and I, we're still here going and we're going strong and we're growing stronger. So thank you. I really appreciate that. I, appreci- I appreciate you guys, everything that you guys do. Um, not just the PayPal donations, the, you know, the gratuities and tips, but all the interaction on social media, all of the emails that I get, um, and it just, it's very much appreciated. And so after doing this for two years with this show, um, I feel in a, in a, in a nice, in a nice place with you. Uh, anyhow, we are midway through the third week of the first Oregon standoff trial. There will be a second trial in February that is so far slated to begin on Valentine's Day. Uh, yesterday afternoon, the United States government rested its case after an incredible presentation of weaponry that was found at the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge outside of Burns, Oregon. Yes, I'm still doing that story. <laughs> Anyways, they found all that after the 41-day the very heavily armed occupation, as, as they sh- showed the jury today. The long guns and the handguns. They were physically paraded to the jury who had only previously seen these things in pictures and like an exclamation point to their point, the weapons display was then followed by the physical presentation of 14 Rubbermaid tubs that were filled with the unspent ammunition that was also found. So it was their way of kind of bringing it home to the jury that in the United States government's opinion, as well as many other people across the country, this was no peaceful protest. The intent for peace was not there with that sort of weaponry is is the point that's being made. Seven of the 26 individuals who were initially indicted in Oregon now have the floor to plead their case. According to OPP's OPB's Conrad Wilson, at least one of the defense attorneys involved today had said that the defense should be able to rest their case in under a month. However, by the end of the day, that now has changed to potentially the end of next week. So, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. It was said that this first trial was going to take several months, but things are moving along very, very fluidly, very, very rapidly at that. And there's no telling uh, why things are going so quickly. What is being omitted that was initially kind of what they thought they were going to be presenting and what they had thought was going to take up so much time. So now that it's the defense's turn, there are at least, and and in the defense, there are at least three co-defendants that are representing themselves. And there's many sovereign citizen type motions. There's sovereign citizen type outbursts in the courtroom. What seems to be kind of this rather speedy trial could now, you know, now that the defense has it, it could in fact turn into something altogether different. We don't know. What we do know is that the defense did not get off to a good start nor a speedy start this morning. In fact, according to Coin News reporter Eileen Park, before the jury came in, Judge Anna Brown had chastised the defense for their lack of organization. The defense didn't have enough witnesses to fill out for the day. And Brown told the defense, get it together, folks. Uh, Brown also told the defense that she was not there to organize their case for them and that it was 9 a.m. and somebody better call a witness. Alvin Bundy apparently himself was supposed to be the first witness for the defense. However, as counsel, uh, attorney Mumford was not prepared is what they're saying. So Ammon might be testifying to part tomorrow, depending if there's time. Sheriff Ward will be back on the stand tomorrow as well as uh, Reverend Franklin Graham. One standout moment that was to me that was reported by freelance journalist Leah. And Leah, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say your last name. It's S-O-T-T-I-L-E. I'm not even going to try to butcher it. But Leah, you know, she had a, a good comment that that I really liked and I liked I like this, to hear these little tidbits about stories, too. I think that very human thing, especially in the case of David Thrive, which I'm going to talk about, 
But Leah had said that when negotiator Mark Maxwell testified about his last call with, you know, the last man out with David Fry, that he said, you know, when we're talking about when Fry asked for pizza and a smoke and for the people to say hallelujah, Maxwell said he said hallelujah. And that when he said and, and Leah said that when Maxwell said hallelujah on the stand and when that came out in court today, that because of where she was in the overflow room, she was able to see some of the faces as different things happen. In this case, she was able to see Fry. And she said that Fry had broke out in a, in a wide grin and a wide smile. And uh, and I can see and I think that the people that have an interest specific to David Fry, like like I have had, um, like him or, or hate him or whatever, uh, it kind of makes you smile too, just hearing that. At one point, Judge Brown brought up a mistrial when a witness for the defense kept crossing the line. Uh, and we'll get into that a little bit uh, later, either in tonight's show or in the next show, because there's kind of a lot there that I think needs to be discussed. And there was also more about Mark McConnell. But before I go any further here, uh, here's the details that you need in order to participate with me during the live show tonight. During each live broadcast, you can interact on the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric dot news. I'm on Twitter at CTR News Feed. Tonight, we're using the hashtag CTR, Oregon Standoff, and Standoff Trials. All of the stories I cover are usually available on the CTR website at challengingtherhetoric.news. And there's lots of other things there uh, on the site as well. So I, I hope that you do take some time to kind of peruse. Anyhow, if you're listening tonight, you can chat in the listener chat room during the show at blogtalkradio.com forward slash challenging the rhetoric with Sherry Roberts. That's spelled C-H-E-R-I. Click on show number 44. The chat room is beneath the image slider, and if you're already on that page and don't see it, hit refresh and scroll back down. Remember, this is a dialogue, not a debate. No personal attacks, no trolling. None of that's going to be tolerated. And as always, if you're listening to an archive, there is no live chat, so don't bother looking for it. <laughs> Our guest tonight is a member of uh, or has been a member of the Southern Nevada Militia. He is a Bundy Ranch veteran. He was there at the Bundy Ranch 2014 standoff with BLM, and he is one of dozens of people who spent time at the Malheur Wildlife Refuge back during the 41-day standoff uh, that happened earlier this year. Brand Thornton is a controversial figure, and he kind of considers himself to be an American patriot. Now, there's a lot of people that believe that, and I'm one of them, that, that the term, the word patriot, and even our flag has been molested uh, to be used the way that the Bible is often used in, 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 in things that are not necessarily the, the way that they should be brought up. And a lot of people feel that way about uh, Brand Thornton's kind of patriotism. And we're going to talk about that with him a little bit tonight. He's been an outspoken advocate for the Bundy cause as well as other issues. Brand Thornton, I uh, am really glad to have you here. It's kind of a long time coming. So uh, welcome to Challenging the Rhetoric. Well, thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. It's nice to have you. Um, so you contacted me last night after yeah. the show I did. And I did a show about Mark McConnell. And, uh, you know, Mark's been on the show five times. And he will be back again at some point, probably after the trials. Uh, at least after, I don't know if it'll be after this trial or after it'll be the February trial. I think it depends on how things play out. But what was funny to me is that you had taken issue specifically with what you contacted me about with Mark about um, saying that he he did not stay at the refuge. Particularly, Mark was saying that he, when he was there with Melvin the first time, he did not stay at the refuge. The second time he did stay at the refuge, I believe two two nights. You had said, and, and I laughed, and this was funny, and this is kind of how tonight with you coming on came to be, is you had said you'd seen him in his boxer shorts. I, I did talk to Mark, and he he says that they were diving shorts, just FYI. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and, and it was funny because I think a lot of people don't realize that when, when somebody out there that they feel is controversial or they immediately don't like for for their ideologies or whatever, they forget that there's still personalities and there's some humor and things. And you approached me with humor and you had actually had said basically that Mark McConnell had a rock and bod and, um, you know, <laughs> covet, covet. And that, yeah. <laughs> that, you know, it was too bad he covered it in tats or something to that effect. And, and that was really funny, you know, and, and, you know, I have reached out to you many times. You've not up until now come on. So I, I appreciated the humor. So, Brand, why don't you do this? Why don't you kind of let's set this up properly. Why don't you first tell the listener kind of briefly a little bit about you? Okay. Well, I was born and raised in Southern Nevada. Uh, five generations here now. Um, 
I uh, graduated from Rancho High School, and shortly thereafter, I uh, was converted to the Mormon Church and uh, went on a mission. And that became really my passion for a long time. And then uh, eventually I graduated um, from that situation. That's the best way for me to put it. Uh, I realized that they were just towing the government line in so many different ways. And uh, I continued to, um, you know, respect and appreciate and believe in many parts of that belief system, especially when it comes to the Constitution of the United States. Um, in the Mormon belief system, we are commanded to uphold the Constitution of the United States, even if it means giving our lives. And so I've taken that uh, very, very seriously. And when I saw the situation that Clyde and Bunny and his family was in, uh, and let me digress just a little bit. I'm actually related to Clyde and Bundy. My great uncle uh, was the first police officer killed in line of duty in Las Vegas, Nevada. And uh, he married uh, a Mamie Bundy. So it goes back a little ways, but you know how mothers are. She always kept me on top of all that stuff. So <laughs> when I saw what was happening to Cliven, um, I decided it was, it was time. And I had a gentleman staying with me by the name of Lieutenant Colonel Roy Potter. We discussed it one morning, and we felt, you know, this is an opportunity to bring certain things to light, to make a stand, to make a real stand. And we went out there that day. Uh, so much of it's history now, but uh, I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to know about me. Well, Ernest May was my great uncle, who was the first police officer killed in line of duty also. So... Thank you. Um, you you uh, you are have been in pictures and videos and stuff. You play a shofar. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, called the trump uh, of God in the Bible. Go ahead. Okay. No, go ahead. Please tell the listener what it is. Yeah, it's called the trump of God in the scriptures, and I have somewhat of a ministry, uh, shofar ministry. I get requests uh, from time to time, uh, local churches, things like that. But there's a scripture that really sums it up. It's Numbers chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. If people want to look at that, that would sum, sum it up pretty well why I do that. Well, okay, so here, here's what I want to do, because in, as you kind of explained who you are, a little bit about your background, you covered a couple different topics, and I want to get back to some of them. But before I do, one of the things that I want to kind of get out right away, and I tend to do this with guests who have like something very specific hanging over them that has created a negative um you know, feeling from others. And there were posts and stuff that you've made, uh, different things that have been out in social media over the years where you've made some comments with regards to Jews and Israel and those sorts of statements. And I think that it's important. I think it's important whether I agree or disagree with you, whether, whether a listener agrees or disagrees with you, um, whether they hate what you say, whether you hate what they say, I still think it's important that we understand where it's coming from. So I would like you to address that brand. What I don't want you to do is I don't, I don't want to create a platform for a cause or something like that, but very succinctly, because in order for people to excuse my language, but for, in order for people to give a shit about what you believe, you also have to understand what they believe. (laughs) So you're going to also have to understand what their hatred uh, is of, of these things that you're about to say. So go ahead. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, well, you know, that, the Jewish nation today is pretty much in the same situation that we are here in America, where you have the righteous, but we're being dominated by the corrupt and the wicked. And, you know, the house of Israel by usurpation has been stolen. Uh, Isaiah said that um, Judah would be left with a very small remnant in the last days. And that remnant is there. It is in uh, Israel today. But you have... Uh, people that are calling themselves Jews, they're not Jews. Like Jesus said, um, they're, they're not Jews, but they're from the synagogue of Satan. And uh, they, I refer to them as the Ashkenazi Jews, which uh, they, yeah, yeah they're Semitic um, from Abraham. Actually, excuse me, they are not. They go, it goes all the way back to Noah and uh, one of his 
great-grandsons who is called Ashkenazi, and they're from that lineage. And, you know, you could spend a lot of time. I don't think we want to do that at this time. But let me say the true Jewish nation and the true Jewish people or the true Israelites um, I embrace completely. Uh, the fake ones, which have been so destructive and, you know, they're part of this new world order in, with the Rothschilds and that bunch, I have no respect for them. Does that sum it up? Yeah, no, that sums it up. And, that, and that's good. Thank you for that. It, it's funny because what you say right now brings to mind for me, for the, the listeners that have been listening to me for a while and, and, and my listeners that have been with me for a long time, they know my activist past and in, in being part of these um, conspiracy worlds in which I had lived, one of the things that had come up time and time again as the group started splintering and becoming a little more radical, a little more extreme was this whole Jewish element that the Jews were taking over everything and controlling everything and, and all of this. Now, is there anything going on out there? Who knows? What I do know is it's not the way in which these conspiracy groups project and believe. And unfortunately that's part of the big problem. Now I don't, I don't, um, I don't push hate on anything, anyone. I, I don't use the word hate uh, often, rarely, if ever, in my life. I think it's a very ugly word. However, we have a lot of that in this world. And some of what you said can be perceived as hate talk, Brand. And at the same time, isn't, isn't um, kind of having these feelings about a group of people no different, really, than people that have those similar feelings about the Bundys and their supporters. And so well, if one's okay for you, why is not the other? Well, I hate, I don't hate anybody. Okay. I'll make that perfectly clear. I love everybody, but I hate certain actions. I hate actions of violence against innocent people. Um, and as far as the Bundys go, good grief. Um, you know, also, it just takes a minute or very short time that people will just really look into it and realize these people have made a stand for humanity and for the rule of law, for the Constitution of the United States. Um, there is a lot of hate out there, and so much of it is misguided. Um, and, you know, this knee-jerk reaction that people have is hard to understand. Uh, they dismiss things out of hand without even researching it even a little bit. So... I, I do understand what you're saying, Brian, and I've said those things many, many times myself over the years. I still sometimes say those things, but also having, again, with my background, I've also come to the conclusion a long time ago and stand by it and that the confirma confirmation bias that, that we now are so steeped in, some of it is our own fault, but some of it is also due to technology and algorithms and how they feed you based on who and what and, you know, who, what, why and what of whatever you're doing online. And so Facebook, for instance, whoever interacts with you the most, whatever you're looking at the most, pretty soon that's all you will see and you will see nothing outside of that. And then when we make our own choices to go consume different medias and different stories, it's all we we don't we don't set out to prove ourselves wrong. We don't. And, and, and that's what we actually need to do. And I would challenge you after the show um, to maybe try to prove yourself wrong on a couple things, because when we get on those, what I, what I call the creme de la French. Okay. When we get on those, on those very, very far reaching fringes of all these different uh, conspiracies and, and new world order stuff. Yes, there are many things that the government does that is not good for the people. There is not enough transparency in many things. I am completely anti-pharma. I am anti-GMO. I am all those things. I, you know, I've, I've been to DC. I've been to New York multiple times. I've marched in the streets with thousands and thousands of people. I've been considered a leader and an organizer and, and all of that stuff. So I've, I've walked my walk and the talk and all of that, but I've learned along the way. And it took me to actually remove myself from that. It's, it's like we brainwash ourselves into s certain things. And there's been much of the Bundy stuff that has been disproven as far as much that was put out there to the public, to supporters, to garner support. Now, I'm not saying that there are not issues with public lands in both ways. I'm not saying that that farmers and ranchers somewhere in America and different places in America aren't being infringed upon. But the full Bundy story that as it was told is not exactly accurate. Um, so 
and and that's just that's unfolding it has been unfolding for months and months on end now and so here's a question that i have that i and this is a very serious question so please take no offense to this and i think this is good for anybody listening here when when you for in your case you brought up religion and the mormon the foundation of your beliefs and you tied that into the constitution and then you tied that into the bundy cause when your beliefs as a whole of all that trifecta and more are put together like that what okay a lot of people that are that are surrounding the bundys and the case and and santilli and all them from from basically your side of things a lot of them a government document is not good enough for them a video is not good enough for them audio is not good enough for them as evidence or proof of nothing if it comes from law enforcement or the united states government so how how can anybody show them when they are wrong and they would believe it what would you believe brand what would be true evidence to you um, well, that's, that's a good question, and I think it is very difficult because of the militarization, the federalization of our law enforcement uh, today. Um, with you know, they are being supported by the MIAC report and the Southern Poverty Law Center, and which I consider to be probably the greatest uh, communist institution in this country. So there's this bias against the Constitution and our freedoms has been going on for some time. And I see a tremendous bias uh, under this administration, under the Obama administration. And uh, and it didn't start there. Don't get me wrong. It started with the Patriot Act. It started even before that, uh, going all the way back. Uh, I started seeing things, even with the Reagan administration, with some of the people that he had in his cabinet. So, but it's just, you know, it's an uptick. It seems like monthly, almost, especially now. And uh, I have great distrust for just about anything that comes from the United States government, especially. Uh, now, <clears throat> there are certain things that we have in our control, and there's other things we don't have in our control. But they can paint us any way they want. They can paint the patriots, the constitutionalists, any way they want. And they can... They oh, okay. have Brand, 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 hold on a minute. Hold yeah. on a second, though. Let me just say sure. something, okay? I, I came from corporate media. I left corporate media because I was an activist. I could no longer be part of, you know, corporate dollars and and what I saw and perceived as propaganda after 9-11, not just with regards to 9-11 and terrorism, but the way that the whole money and the marketing thing worked within media and, and all of that. There were many reasons that, that revolved around that that I left. That being said, I used to also believe exactly the way that you're talking and saying right now. But what the problem is, is that things are not as extreme as they're being portrayed. And so I have to caution you because as much as I'm letting you speak, I can't just let you go, go willy nilly without clearly making my case and saying that I am in full disagreement with, with the heart of what you're saying. The point that you're making that the United States government does bad things, I do agree with, but I do not think it's to the extent of which you and I used to, okay, you do now, I used to, and many people that we see all over are doing. So, so let's, let's, we'll get back into that a little bit. I want to kind of move a little bit forward. I want to get straight to Malheur Refuge. You were at Malheur Refuge. Uh, there, were you there when Ryan Bundy first went before Ammon arrived the day of the takeover? When did you arrive at Melier? Uh, and how did you arrive there? Well, I originally went to Burns, uh, for the protest and, uh, had an interesting experience at the protest and, uh, ended up in a meeting. Um, and that's when I found out about the whole idea to go to the refuge. So I am one of the original occupiers. I went in with the first group. Um, so I don't know if there's any more that you'd like to know than, about it than that, but I can. Yeah, actually, occupiers. and I, 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 this had not occurred to me until I actually heard you say that right now. Okay, let's 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 bring Mark McConnell into this just for a moment. One of the reasons sure. that he was initially immediately attacked is because he was not arrested at that traffic stop. And so he immediately by a bunch of Bundy supporters got fingered and labeled as a fed or an informant. How come you're not being labeled that if you were there and one of the original occupiers, you were part of Bundy Ranch as well? 
So, I mean, couldn't the same case for Mark McConnell being a Fed up into up until, you know, the last week or so uh, of what's coming out in court right now, which is still a bit of a mystery. But up until that point, couldn't you also have been labeled exactly the same? You were never arrested. Well, there's it's actually there's people that said that. So um, I haven't really tried to defend myself much except for a few times. And I think the key there is, uh, you know, I wasn't in that town until uh, just a couple of days before. So I wasn't seen traveling all over. I didn't talk to the sheriff or anything like that. I had no idea what was going except for a protest. Uh, and then I never carried a firearm with me. Um, so, you know, and I was really low profile. I, most of the time all I was doing was cleaning and fixing things. I did handle Hammond's um, itinerary for a while, taking his calls and trying to schedule him. Uh, so then, the other, you know, the other thing is I was interviewed a couple of times. And one specific interview, I was asked, uh, what would we do? if the federal refuge workers or the refuge workers want to come back to work. And I said, fine, <laughs> so we'll get out of their way and make room for them. And uh, I think all that stuff, of course, got back to the uh, feds. And I was on the, uh, before the 26th. And when everything went to heck, uh, I was called immediately as considered probably the only insider of, uh, of that group that had not been arrested. And I know they're monitoring those calls. And I told this person, I said, you get everybody you can and you get out of there. So, you know, if you add that up, um, and I think the biggest thing is uh, the interviews. I only did a handful of interviews, and they're by just really small, the media. But I did say specifically that they could come down, they could work, and we would get out of their way. Okay, um, I want to come back to that because I want to address what you said. You did you did you say that you were not armed in Burns and at Mellier? Yes, I was never armed. Okay, but at Bundy Ranch in 2014, you, you were armed, so far, correct? They're so far in the no. trump of God. Like, go ahead. Hey, that could be used as a deadly weapon in many ways. Okay, so <laughs> but but in 2014, Bundy Ranch, you were armed. Is that not correct? You you had an AK-47 or something at Bundy Ranch. Is that not right? Yes, and and I never took it to the bridge. I never took it off private property. And well, we'll we'll get we'll, wait wait wait, Brand. We'll we'll get into Bundy yeah. Ranch at, at the end uh, after we're done with Melier. But I wanted to make that sure. distinction because I have a question about it. I did. Why did you not? Why were you not armed at Melier when you were at Bundy Ranch? You know that's a good question. I really don't. well. First of all, I didn't have a firearm. You know, up there. Uh, 800 miles from my hometown. I just didn't even take one. Didn't even cross my mind. I didn't think that I had no idea what <laughs> that we were going to go and occupy, you know, the Mallory Refuge. Uh, so, and I'm not against the Second Amendment. It just never crossed my mind. I think that people that were questioning you uh, and why you weren't arrested, I think that that would be something that would be a red flag to them that you didn't come armed for a reason with some foreknowledge. Um, that that would be my assumption. I have not heard that. I'm just I'm just saying it. I I can I okay. can tell that that yeah. would be something out there. Um, but interestingly enough, because I was going to ask you about Gary Hunt, Gary Hunt is in the listener chat room right now. What is your ties to Gary Hunt? Um, uh, he's a friend of mine on Facebook. Uh, listen to I have a deep respect for the man. I read his stuff. Um, I, I believe he is a true patriot and his heart's in the right place. And I love reading his stuff. And that's, that's pretty much it. I, I've never met him. I don't think I've met him. I may have at the refuge. I met a lot of people. I've literally met maybe a thousand people at the refuge uh, during the time I was there. So, Who did you spend the most time with at the refuge? Um, the most time with or where at? Uh, I spent most all my with. time in HQ. Um, you know, and it wasn't by design so much. I got very, very ill. Um, I mean, unbelievably ill. And after, even after I left, it took me two months to recover. I spent a lot of time just sleeping during the day and trying to take care of myself. So I was in HQ pretty much all the time, except for I'd go from time to time, I'd go to the uh, mess hall and get something to eat. And I didn't even eat there very much. Now, why why would you be in HQ versus John Ritzheimer? Well, I was when, as I said, I was one of the original occupiers. 
I knew Am and I knew Ryan and I knew pretty much all the Bundy family. I knew some of the others who were there, uh, not as well. And and it, even then, you know, it's not like we're brothers and sisters or somebody that close. Uh, so um, it just kind of turned out that way. It wasn't by design. Um, so you know, I don't know what else to say about that. So you you lit- you stayed at the refuge. You stayed the night at the refuge. You how long were you there? Were you there through the whole thing? Yeah, I, I left the twenty fifth. I had a, some a really important engagement uh, back in Las Vegas. I'd been involved in a trial for five years, and uh, I had to be deposed on the twenty sixth. And uh, I got a ride with Melissa Louder. She brought me back to Vegas, and then we were going to come back. Uh, the morning of the 27th, and then she called me and said, "If you heard," and that's when I found out about the, the uh, ambush of uh, Lavoy and the rest. And I said, "Well, I told her, I said, we got to get back. I got to get back right now." And she said, "I ain't taking you back." <laughs> and I made some phone calls, and I couldn't get anybody to take me back. And both of my vehicles were there, so I ended up getting stranded here, and uh, so. Gary Hunt in the chat room. Uh, Gary Hunt in the chat room is uh, addressing what you said about you don't think you ever met him. He says no, but he met your son on the evening of the twenty sixth. Where did he meet your son at? Probably, yeah, probably. I, I I wouldn't be surprised. Was your son at Mellier? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was. And when did your son leave Mellier? Um. He's the one that called me and asked me, everybody wants to know what's going on. What should we do? And I told him, I said, you get everybody you can and you get out of there now. And so he went and talked to as many people as he could, said, we're leaving now. Uh, if you want to be with us, let's leave. And then they left. How did you hear about the arrest and the shooting of Lavoie? Um, who told you, or how did you find out, and when? Uh, Melissa Louder told me. Um, I was um, the deposition never took place, but I was at the building where I was supposed to be deposed, and uh, so I wasn't really paying much attention to it. And then I don't—I think she called me and asked me if I'd heard what had taken place. And that's when I found out about it. And that was Melissa Lauder. Right. You want to tell the listeners, um, I, I'm familiar with Melissa. I, I talk to her occasionally on social media, and I've spoken with her on the phone a few times. Um, you want to tell the listeners who Melissa is? Um, Melissa Lauder is a member of the Mormon Church, and uh, she's um, a licensed paralegal. She's going to college to be a, a lawyer, and she's tried to assist um, the Bundys and others. Um, I will say that we have deep philosophical differences, and they recently pretty much blown up uh, to the point that we are no longer communicating. But I still have a lot of respect for her as a human being. So that's now, Melissa. Melissa also ran against Michelle Fiore for Assemblywoman. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So um, Melissa Louder is empty louder uh, on on Facebook. Um, if you've been paying attention to the Oregon standoff over all these months and you've been, you know, playing around on Facebook. I'm sure that you've encountered her. She has been also in and out of the courtroom and has been able to provide some really good information from time to time. And that's who uh, Brenda's talking about. Anyways, so what was your overall experience? Um, And let me preface this with, uh, I know that you're going to te- you're going to tell your flavor, your brand's brand of of his experience <laughs> at Melier. Uh But yeah. and again, relatively briefly, I mean, you don't need to stymie yourself. But what was your experience while you were there? And and I think that Brand, to be fair, I, I think this far into the trials, I don't think that anything that you would say necessarily is going to going to be harmful. But I think that we need a little bit of not just levity all the time. I think we need a little bit more seriousness on the aspects. I think that at this point in time that there are some supporters, and I don't know whether or not you are one of them, but that that do realize that there have been some laws broken, there have been some mistakes, and there have been some um, untruths. Well, I would say to that that we did everything humanly possible to make sure no laws were broken, to uh, leave the place in a better condition than we found it. I mean, we we did all we could. Uh, 
as far as my experience there, it was a great spiritual experience for me. Um, I'm glad that I was there. I think the plan was genius. Um, I have I would do it over again. I have the greatest respect for Hammond and Ryan and all, all the bunnies as far as that goes. So, yeah, it is a great spirit. I had a lot of spiritual experiences. It was just like I couldn't hardly get over the things that were happening as far as spiritual experiences there. I mean, we prayed every morning. Uh, we had meetings twice a day, 8 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the evening. And that inner circle and, and sometimes a few others, we would have prayer every single morning. And I was had the great fortune to be able to uh, have a close um, relationship with the boy and got to know him really on a personal level. And I can say he's one of the greatest human beings I have ever known. And and that goes for pretty much everybody was here. Um, I just love everybody that was there. I love their uh, sacrifices that they made to bring this to light. And uh, I... I would do it all over again if I had to, if I could. Brand, you brought, you brought up Lavoy, and and you know a lot of people uh, on all sides of this uh, talk kindly about Lavoy, up until um, what happened and and his reaction to the felony traffic stop. Um, but because you brought him up right now, I, I I have to ask you this: Why? One of the the things that that Bundy supporters and and Finnecum family supporters uh, continue continue even as of today. Uh, you know, proffering out there to people, pushing, 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 is that, you know, the, the ambush thing, but saying that that Lavoie himself, that him out of everybody was specifically the target of the federal government. Could you please explain any kind of <laughs> reality why that could be? Because that's one of the most laughable things yeah, to me I, in what's I, being put. I, I kind of don't believe it. I think they were all marked for death, everybody that was in his vehicle. Um, I, I am absolutely convinced, 100%, that they were meant, none of them were meant to survive. I know only by the grace of God did they survive. And I think LeBoy had a lot to do with that, the way he actually got out and got away from them as fast as, as, fast as they could, as fast as he could. And uh, hopefully they would, I think in his mind, it, you know, that they'll be satisfied with his blood and not kill everybody else. I don't know if that Brand, makes if, sense to you. I, I understand what you're saying. I disagree because he, here's here's the problem with that. If the federal government meant for no one to get out alive, then why were they using rounds of rubber bullets, foam bullets, non-lethal rounds with, that were hitting the truck, not penetrating the vehicle? If they wanted to kill people, it's the federal government as well as the state government. They were able to. They had what they they could have done so instantaneously. So if that was indeed what was meant to happen, why did it not? Well, they would not have plausible deniability, and they needed to document that. Now, if you'll look at the latest forensic expert that uh, he put out a video on the whole thing that explains it all, and uh, now just think, had they killed everybody there, uh, including those two gals, and had not documented it, and that would have been even a bigger nightmare for them. I'm amazed they put out what they did put out because it, the evidence is so overwhelming that um, they were they were there to kill people. Brand, what 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 possible um, thing is so special about Ammon, Ryan Bundy, Shauna Cox, Victoria Sharp, Lavoy Finnicum, and any of the others that night out on that highway that the federal government would need to ambush them to kill them? Nobody in the world. Okay, wait, wait. Yeah. The the the, the sure. American people. Okay, the American people largely do not even know that this ever happened. That being said, I live in the state of Oregon. Most people in the state of Oregon not only don't know that it never ha- or that anything ever happened here, they don't know anything about these people, and they don't know that the trials are happening right now. And that's a reality. So why were they so special to the United States government that all this had to be this big conspiracy to go and kill these people and then not kill them? And and I'm not I'm not well, trying to be unkind. I need I need sure. somebody on your end to please try to explain that to people because it makes zero sense whatsoever. Well, we're we're assuming that the federal government has the rhyme and reason everything that they do. Um, having said that, uh, what did the branch Davidians? What was so special about the branch Davidians 
or what was so special about the people at Ruby Ridge? I mean, sometimes you just got to get, you know, have disclosure uh, from the people that actually did it before you're going to really get down to the bottom of it. But if I might put some conjecture out there, it had to do with those lands and the trillions and trillions of dollars of precious uh, metals and things of that nature, especially uranium, that is there. And Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, she sold all that stuff off to the Russians for uranium one a long time ago. So there's a real only motivation. only parts only only parts of that. Okay, only parts of that is deemed true at all. That's that's the problem, Brian. Some of these things they might have some small roots of truth, but by time that they get regurgitated to the sense that they have been, they're so far from reality, and and it's breeding what happened to Lavoie, and and it's not the United States government that it's breeding. It's breeding people going out and doing things in the wrong manner, and that the. People are, you know, we create our own destiny, so to speak. But, you know, you you put something out there and you're projecting it over and over and over and you're, you're going to get it back. And so when we surround ourselves, like I said, steep ourselves in this stuff, our minds take us to these places that they ought not to be because it's creating problems. So a, a lot, Many things that you've said and just in just in conversation and probably the same could be said for me from, you know, about me on your end of it. All right. But many of those things mm-hmm. have time and time again been debunked, debunked over and over and over. So that goes back to my point. What is it going to take for anyone that believes in what you're what you've shared so far tonight and 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 other things that, that are out there publicly to believe that you are ever wrong about something? Well, I believe the evidence is there. You know, somebody would have to explain to me what Uranium One was on their Facebook was doing, calling us all domestic terrorists. Uh, you know, things of that nature, if they didn't have some vested interest in those lands. Um, if it walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it looks like a duck, it's a duck. I believe the evidence is there. If people just open their eyes, they will see it. It's all there. Well, okay, let's jump over to uh, Mark McConnell because you did want to comment on, um, you know, him being at the refuge when he did stay the night, when he was there the second time. Um, what was your experience with McConnell? I was really a good experience. Uh, let me digress and say I thought he said he had never spent the night there, and I was going to take issue with that. Uh, where he stayed, he slept next to me at HQ on the bottom floor, and it was a given that if you were going to sleep there at that place, you were a bodyguard. You were a bodyguard for Ammon and Ryan, that first, you know, that, uh, that first level of being a bodyguard. And he was armed. Uh, I didn't say a long rifle, but he did have sidearms. And he acknowledged that when I brought it up. I said, well, I guess you're going to be one of the bodyguards tonight because uh, there have been multiple different bodyguards. And so I was like, you know, I'm hearing this. And, uh, of course, he could have just been telling me what I wanted to hear. Uh, But the fact of the matter is he was there. It was a given. Pretty much everybody knew um, that if you were there in that position, you were acting as a bodyguard. And so I don't know how he can distance himself from certain things. Uh, he's been less than truthful with me. I talked to him at some length over, and he assured me that he was not in federal informant. So it's kind of reached a point now where, you know, once you've been lied to once, uh, it's kind of hard to accept anything else that person says. But outside of that, uh, you know, I was really impressed with his tattoos. But more than that, I was very impressed with his physical condition. I was like, oh, my gosh. I wish I was built like that. But, uh, right, yeah, covet, covet, you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, if the gals knew what he looked like, they'd be crawling all over him. But, uh, yeah, we had a good time. We talked for a while. Um, I was impressed with him. That, you know, he seemed to be an intelligent, articulate man and dedicated to the cause. So. Well, today in court, um, there was testimony that there was some sort of a proposal to pay Mark that an FBI agent had seen. There's no mention of any kind of um, number tally on that, nor whether that was accepted or actually had happened, what it entailed or any details on that, whether anything further about that will come out. 
there's no documentation thus far of, of any of these things. What I find quite interesting, I, I pointed out, as you listened last night, I pointed out some of the discrepancies in the OSP report with regards to Brian Buda Cavalier uh, being mentioned a couple times as the driver of the Jeep uh, by mistake, because it was, in fact, Mark McConnell that was driving. It was his Jeep. and But because of just the different mistakes with that alone, let, as well as other mistakes, is there a possibility that they have the two mixed up, the, these people that have gone in and testified? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I'm still waiting to see some actual documentation. But what's odd is here's the reality and and i know i know that that quote unquote patriots uh people in militias and stuff don't don't want to hear this or they they're like oh i know and then but but if if mark is okay here's look how close he was and and to whom who you guys you know had bodyguards he was the bodyguard okay so um first of all there's no need for any of these people to have bodyguards all right i've been in situations where you need a real bodyguard but that's just an arrogance Okay, and that's an arrogance that was portrayed, and that's part of what was intimidating oh, to other no, people. No, 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 no. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. Hold on, let me finish what I'm saying. Okay, okay so I want to get okay. back to this thing with regards to Mark. Now, so today, this, you know, this comes out with, with, you know, about him and this, this contract, this potential proposal or whatever. What I am not understanding, and maybe you have some thoughts, is that we know that the patriot movement the militia movement has been infiltrated for some time keebler's a good yeah. example how far back that went and even beyond that we know that many of these people including the bundys and pete Santilli, had been under surveillance and investigation since bundy ranch 2014 probably you as well okay so sure. why we we know that there are many informants i would challenge this is what i would challenge i would challenge that there were many either federal agents and or just confidential informant CIs that had been long time embedded within militias in the Patriot movement long before Oregon standoff came to be. And because Oregon standoff happened, some of them got caught up in it because they were already embedded with militias. That's my hypothesis. But that being said, I want to say this and I want the listeners to understand something with regards to Mark McConnell. Many, many people, many, many Patriots, many people that are on the Bundy supporter side and the Santilli supporter side continue to push the idea that this was some sort of a honeypot. Today in testimony, it came out that the feds knew on January 1st, the day before the takeover, that there was a takeover plan for the refuge. Now, there have been people said, well, the keys were out and this, that, and the other. Did they did they specifically do that because they had that, you know, at least one day advanced knowledge? I don't know. But I would tell you that if Mark McConnell, no matter what he is or isn't, which we still do not quite know yet, he would not have been part of a honeypot because Mark McConnell did everything he could to keep people away from the refuge. Not only when he was there, but when he wasn't there. Long, I mean, on the record, over and over and over and over again. So that doesn't fit their narrative. And so that's why I'm finding it interesting. We know there's other informants out there, okay? Why, are, oh, why, are, oh yeah. why is Mark McConnell the only name that's coming out in trials? Oh, well, that's Fox? a good question. I know, I know so at least one of the other informants, and I suspect other ones. Uh, but let me say something in defense of Mark McConnell. Um, I have been told there are these mitigating circumstances, and they very well could be. And if that's the case, you know, if you're if you're trying to prevent, say, a massacre, and you saw it coming, and you know you contacted the authorities because you were really concerned. Uh, that something bad is going to happen. You don't know what those authorities are going to do. I mean, that's out of your hands. And that may be the situation with Mark. I'm willing to cut him that slack. Um, I just, like I said before, though, you know, he was less than honest with me before, so i got to digest this, and I think after it's all over with, I'll have a better perspective of it. Now, as far as you know, posturing as far as being bodyguards, I'm sure you're familiar with Lewis Arthur and his bunch that uh, I his am. other sidekicks they came charging down there. They beat up uh, a, a veteran that came across a radio, wrote it, a radio can you speak here, uh, that these individuals had busted through. And I didn't know who they were. I knew they weren't, I knew they weren't Leos for sure. And they come down there screaming. I think they were three-quarters drunk. We don't know if they have guns. We don't know what they have. They just beat one of our guys up. Uh, so, you know, we were. I confronted them with a couple others. Of course, Lane Cooper got there first. 
and uh, they really misjudged Blaine. I, I witnessed what happened there. <laughs> I tell you what, um, I would never mess with Blaine Cooper. Uh, you know, they punched him multiple times, uh, or at least tried before he did anything. And it was two punches and two guys down, just that fast. And then Lewis Archer jumps up screaming that he'd been blindsided, crying like a little girl, and he initiated that whole thing. So there you go. Uh, there was another time where there was a gentleman came. Wait, wait, Brand, 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 yeah. Brand. Hold sure. on a minute. I, I, I want to address what you just said. Why, sure. why would you lend zero credence whatsoever to the purpose of why Lewis Arthur was there? Because when you talk did. about potential, wait. When you talk about potential mitigating circumstances with regards to Mark McConnell, where sure. are those mitigating circumstances that may be also parallel, by the way? when it came to Lewis Arthur and why he was there. And then that was all because all of the reasons for these people, as, as they, as we have heard month after month after month, it was all about Ryan Payne. There was no difference there between these people as far as well, what their purpose for me, I, can only, I can only speak for myself. Uh, when you beat an old man up and bloody him and I took the pictures of it, you lost all credibility with me. And, and I mean, three against an old man. Are you kidding me? There were lots of media reports. There were lots of different versions. I realized that you were there. Um, I appreciate you sharing, you know, what your experience was with yeah. that. And I, you know, I think that you have, we just have to leave that to the listener. Uh, as I said, Lewis Arthur has been on the show. Uh, Lewis, if you're listening and you'd like to come back on the show at some point, just let me know. Um, and same obviously goes for you as well. Um, I want to jump real quick into... Um, and and real quick, because we're down to mere minutes, Brand, FBI presence in Burns uh, and and around the refuge that were known, you know, as far as not not anybody that was undercover. How strong was it? In your opinion, oh, I don't think I actually don't think it was very strong. Is uh, uh, I don't know how it fits some of my confidential. I have confidential informants also, and uh, one of them told me that those all those guys in those trucks. They were just hired. So um, I think a lot of it was just posturizing, trying to make things bigger than they really were. Uh, I think it was more of a PR campaign, demonizing the Patriots uh, than anything else. Now, would they have killed us if they had the opportunity? I'm sure they would have. I, I, I want to jump into quickly Bundy Ranch since you were there. But before that, I want to I want to have a final comment with regards to Mellier and uh, posturing and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing. The corporate media did not paint the Bundys, the occupation, the supporters and the other people there badly or differently. It was the people that were there that did it themselves. It's their own videos. The feds didn't doctor those. That was their own videos, their own posts, all the stuff that's been used in, in evidence and stuff like that, that we all saw. It was nothing that we read in the Oregonian or on uh, OPB or Oregon Live. It was nothing that we saw on CNN that made any of us have any opinion one way or another. It was exactly what we saw from these people. And, and that's another thing that a lot of the supporters don't understand does not fit their narrative because that that's untrue. It is not corporate media that geared any opinion on this. It was the people that put it out there from the refuge. When, uh, you know, this Patriot rumor mill that we're talking about, it goes back also to Bundy ranch. You were at Bundy ranch. You were, you were, you know, you had a weapon. It is said you were up on the bridge. Uh, you can, you know, say whether you were or not. And I, you got about two minutes brand. Uh, when did you go to Bundy ranch and when did you leave? Well, let me back up to what you first said. You know, as far as the videos and everything that were put out, I think that's a matter of perception, and I just have a completely different perception than you do, Terry. Uh, as far as the Bundy Ranch, I got there the day after um, Davey had been beaten up. And in fact, I was next to Pete Santilli when he did that famous video. Uh, and then I was at the bridge unarmed, by the way. I met Officer Jenkins at the first crossover. I went right up and talked to him. Uh, actually, I, his group, his, some of his officers were John back and forth with some of the militia, and I jumped in the middle of that and stopped that immediately. Then I went and talked to Officer Jenkins, had a short conversation with him, told him that we were there to uh, take the cattle back, and he said, it's not going to happen. I said, good luck. I shook his hand, and I walked away. I were, you up, uh, were you the one? Were you the one? Were you the one that asked Jenkins if he was ready to die that day? 
Nobody did. Nobody did. That is the biggest crock. We were at least 50 yards away from them. And, and, then, and we can account, Michael, uh, David Michael Lynch and I can account for every minute of Officer Jenkins where he was. That's just a big story. Okay? And uh, then, of course, I ended up uh, by the, under the bridge uh, where that all took place with Sheriff Tom Roberts and Hammond and Davey and Ryan Bundy. And uh, after that was done, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Roy Potter and I, uh, we had to get some stuff uploaded. Of course, they were jamming all of our signals. And so we headed back to Vegas and made some video clips as fast as we could to get the information out. And uh, I went back after uh, just to talk to Cliven for a, we had a Sunday session there and uh, just to talk to him and some of the, the other people. And that was the last time I went back after that. So. When uh, when you left Bundy Ranch, um, were, did you how how frequently were you in contact with the Bundys, keeping up on what was going on with them? What other things did you get involved with between Bundy Ranch and Mellier? Uh Not much at all, actually. Uh, you know, I did some interviews with Channel Eight there in Las Vegas, and uh, took issue with Officer Jenkins, which they ran um, basically. Uh, saying I called Officer Jenkins a liar. I just said I took issues with him. Uh, I have been in contact somewhat. Uh, I had been in contact somewhat with the Bundys after that. Nothing in any real depth. Um, just wishing them good luck and, you know, keep up the good fight. And uh, until I heard uh, from Ammon on, uh, you know, social media that uh, this protest was going to take place and we all needed to be there in Burns. And after that, I went to Burns. So, so you it was with it was because of a conversation with Ammon that that you went to to Burns. That's what. No, the, it was on social statement. media. He he put out a video clip. I didn't have a personal his, conversation. His okay. And um, before Bundy Ranch, had you ever met Ammon Bundy? No, never had. What about any of the uh, others? Was there other militia members that you knew that were there or that came with you? Not one single person. It was just Lieutenant Colonel Potter and I. We went out there and got initiated and got to know everybody uh, that day we went out there. You can't say Colonel Potter without me thinking of MASH. Um, <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I'm a huge MASH fan. It's like mama's milk to me. All right. So um, if, if there was something that you could say to uh, your own side of the coin, to the Bundy supporters out there, Brown. I know that you followed uh, some of the things that, I, that I've done over the months. And um, so I know that you've had at least a splash of the other side. What would you say to the Bundy supporters about some of the wrongs that they have done in, in their reactions and behaviors? What is the best thing that they can do now as these trials continue to unfold? Well, you know, as far as any wrongs, there's been so much of what I call petty wrongs. That, uh, but as far as the, the larger picture, the bigger message, keep it up. You know, keep the pressure on. Keep protesting. Uh, we got to get this out to the public. We got to get it out to our elected officials. I want Congress to see it. It's, you know, the shenanigans that uh, Judge Anna Brown is doing right now to the, our patriots is is insane. It's unbelievable. So you know, you got to keep the pressure on. Um, be peaceful. Uh, you know. Because that's what they want. They want us to revert, uh, you know, revert to violence, and uh, we can't do that. But we got to keep the pressure on as far as protests and getting the message out there. I think with any cause, I think that you need to be consistent um, in your behaviors and in your message. Brand Thornton, thank you very much for being on Challenging the Rhetoric. Well, thank you so much for having me, Terry. Now, I know my mom wasn't the first person to say it, but my mom used to always say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I I really believe that to be true. In everything that we say out there, we can say the same thing 10, 15 different ways, and it can come across in even more ways than that. Because our words have a lot of power. My words, your words, all of our words, I say this every week, they have impact, impact on somebody. And you need to wonder and care about what your words and your actions and your behaviors and how they're impacting others, not just people, but things, um, because things also impact people. It's up to each of us to take responsibility.
we participate in it and we we do it sometimes even knowing you know unknowingly but also knowingly so it's whether we create it or curate it makes no difference if we're participating all this disinformation out there some of which you heard from brand he doesn't even realize it some you might have heard from me and i don't realize it that's how our world works and we always have to keep each other in check but we also we also have to be open to being kept in check if you missed part of tonight's show or any of the others you can find the archives on blog talk radio podbean or on the website at challengingtherhetoric.news if you like what i'm doing share my work share the shows share the articles hit up my paypal i'd appreciate the tips i'll be back live next wednesday october 5th at 6 p.m pacific 9 p.m eastern with a very special guest spencer sunshine he's an associate fellow at political research associates at boston a Boston-based progressive think tank that uh, monitors right-wing organizations. It's going to be another enlightening show, and you're not going to want to miss it. Until then, be kind to one another, whether you like each other or not. Love ya.